chapter 3, uh, verses 5 through 11. Colossians uh, chapter 3. Listen then to the word of God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just thank you for this day and we ask that you would speak to us from your word, uh, that your word would be powerful and, and living and active uh, in, in our hearts, Lord, that you would be at work through your spirit and that you would enable us to to put sin to death and give us uh, the courage and a, a renewed desire uh, to fight sin uh, in our daily lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, this week, if you've been been following the news, there's been just a couple of decisions by uh, the Supreme Court, and those have uh, certainly stirred up some controversy and various politicians and various uh, figures weighing in. Of course, one of the, the rulings was the decision on gay marriage, and a number of Christians and individuals have spoken up about that and how they feel. Uh, but sometimes I think as important as it is to know those things and what's going on, sometimes we lose sight of where the real spiritual battle takes place. Sometimes we can be focused on everything that is out there and what the world is doing and what the Supreme Court says and the way that our culture is headed and certainly uh, good causes to be concerned as believers. But sometimes we can be so focused on those things that we forget where the Lord wants us to be focused on when it comes to the spiritual battle. And that's the spiritual battle that goes on inside of us. The spiritual battle that goes on in our hearts. You see, sometimes we identify the enemy and sin as the wor- in the world as things that are out there rather than things that need to be fought and dealt with in my heart. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, we don't do battle the way that the world does battle. For the weapons, Paul says, of our warfare are not against the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ? Are we fighting the battle that goes on in our hearts to take every of our thoughts captive to obey Christ? Uh, The Puritan, uh, by the name of John Owen, writes a little book called The Mortification of Sin. Mortification is just a fancy way of saying putting to death or, or killing sin. Dealing with the sin in our hearts that that even as Christians crops up 
In fact, first John tells us if we say we have no sin, we are a liar. If we get to the point in our Christian life where we are saying, I don't sin anymore. I don't have to fight these things and, and deal with them because I have moved to that level of perfection. First John says we're a liar. John Owen says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. It's a battle and a back and forth. And if we are not active in fighting it, it will be winning. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Put sin to death and live for Jesus is our main point this morning. It's what Paul tells us to do. Paul tells us to put to death these desires in us that can spring up. Do not engage them. Do not act on them. But he does this with a focus on Jesus Christ. Focus your mind and your heart, even as he said last week, on Jesus who who lives in heaven. So it is put sin to death and live for Jesus. So first this morning, we are to be a people who put away sin, who who fight it, who take up our, our active engagement against it. We are not to become lackadaisical in our Christian life when it comes to fighting sin. Fighting sin, I think, is analogous to rollerblading uphill. And if you've ever been on roller skates or on rollerblades and you rollerblade uphill, what happens the moment you stop striving? You begin to slide back down the hill. We are to be so understanding that we are in a battle that we put on the armor of the Lord, as Paul says, that we make it our mission in life to to regularly deal with these things and submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, because we are, in a sense, rollerblading uphill, fighting sin and letting sin go in our life where we stop fighting it is kind of like like feeding a dragon. And we can think we have it all under control and it is on a leash, but if we indulge it over time and we throw it a little stake here or there, that dragon begins to grow. And so Paul wants us not to engage in sin, but actually to put it to death. And he focuses first particularly on sexual sins. Put to death sexual sins. Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, covetousness, which is idolatry. I just want to define some of these things as, as Paul lays them out. First, sexual immorality. Paul is speaking of any kind of, of sexual activity that takes place outside of the boundaries of marriage. The, the Greek word is actually pornea, which, which speaks of sexual immorality, which we get the English word pornography from. Impurity, and this context is also talking about impure relationships, things that are immoral and, and disobedient to God, things of a, 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 a vile sort that, that disrupt our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, hinting probably at sexual impropriety. We're not to pursue passions and lusts the way that the world does. When Paul says these things, he's speaking of earthly desires he's he means earthly not in the sense of things that god created because we know that god created the whole earth and when god created it god said it was good 
But Paul means earthly in the sense of those things that are on earth and not of heaven that are sinful. The Bible is not against passion. The Bible is not against passion in a marriage relationship. The Bible wants us certainly to have a passion for the Lord. A passion, obviously, of a different sort. But when it speaks of, of passion here, it's speaking of, of sinful desires. In fact, other places in Scripture, when Paul uses the word, he qualifies it with the word uh, of uh, some kind of word referring to sin. We are to put these things to death. To not let our minds wander, not let ourselves focus on them, not let ourselves be caught up in engaging these things or scheming in our minds how we might uh, do these things in our lives. It's not that the Bible is against sex and sexual intimacy. This is one of the think the biggest misunderstandings, sometimes a misunderstanding in the church, sometimes for sure uh, a misunderstanding of what Christians Think about physical intimacy and relationships and sex. The Bible is not against sexual intimacy. God has created it to be beautiful and wonderful and to be a thing that is expressed in marriage where there is a covenant bond, a, a loyalty, a connection. There is safety and security and harmony. But the Bible is against us in indulging these things in ways that God never made them for. God did not intend for us to engage in, in sexual relationships of impurity and immorality. In fact, Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you have received from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know the instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It means your growing in holiness, your, your character becoming more like God. And then Paul continues that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you control, uh, know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. For God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. First Peter says this, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. In our passage, notice also in Colossians that it's not just sexual sins, but it's coveting as well. Covening is when you see something that someone else has and you desire it and you want it. Not just in a, oh, I like that. I think maybe I'll go down to the grocery store and buy that for myself. But, but when you have this spur of, of jealousy, this, oh man, that's not fair that they have this and I don't. I need this in my life. And if I don't have this, I, I'm not going to be complete in some way. One of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet. And it expands it with don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. We might say don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's pool. Don't covet the neighbor's car that's in their garage. 
this, I think, is something that we as Americans are particularly vulnerable to. We even have the phrase, right? Keeping up with the Joneses. And, and the whole industry of commercials is, is designed to stir up in us a desire that something is incomplete in us unless we buy this product or that product. And so we're not just content with having a car, but we need to have the best car or a better car than the neighbors have. We're not just content with having a roof over our head, but we need the best of the best if we're going to be good Americans. Sometimes even the American dream can be so perverted. There's nothing wrong with with wanting uh, to do well in life and be stable so long as we're trusting God to provide these things and being thankful for what God has given us. But sometimes the American dream can become about getting ahead. It can become a pursuit of coveting and fulfilling that covetous desire. Paul even tells us that coveting is idolatry. He says, put these things to death. He lists them. And the last one he says is covetousness, which is idolatry. Think about that for a moment. We read, a lot of us probably read the Old Testament Bible stories or we grew up hearing the Old Testament Bible stories and all of those times that, that Israel would make this golden image and she would put it somewhere and she would maybe on a high place, high on a hill, and she would go up and she would bow down to these things. We read about Paul going into the cities, cities like Corinth, which had these horrible pagan temples. And you could go and you could worship the pagan God by going and getting a prostitute. Just disgusting stuff that could go on. And sometimes we look at that and we say, well, we live now in the 21st century. We don't have idol factories down on the corner. We're not going to go into York and find uh, the Temple of Zeus or the, the, the um, uh, Areopagus where the, the Greek temple was. And so sometimes we can have sort of a, a snobbery about the past. Thank goodness we are not like that. But Paul tells us that covetousness is idolatry. And we have idols in America. And we have idols in our hearts when we let these things get carried away and we begin to pursue these desires and these delights out of a selfishness. We forsake God and His goodness and pursue these sins and it becomes idolatry. Putting these things to death then means that we stop doing them, that we get rid of them, that we fight the desires We are not to engage in these things and allow ourselves to be swept away. It is an enemy and you kill it. You don't let if you have weeds in your garden, you don't hoe around the weeds and say, well, I need to, you know, prepare the soil and I've got my plants here and I wouldn't want to pull that weed out. I'll just I'll just clip it a little bit and and we'll we'll let it stay, but we won't let it get too big. And that's how some of us treat our sins. We, we treat it like a weed in the garden. And, and then we look at it and we say, well, I'll just let it there a little. It, it's not too big. It, that, that's okay. As long as I don't let it get out of control. Paul says, put it to death. Pull it out. Get 
rid of it. Let me just be frank. There are things in our lives that we need to to be sure that we don't pursue. Especially young men, don't pursue pornography. Ladies, don't pursue emotional affairs or even sometimes romance novels. They can get uh, our hearts worked up and we can become uncontent and we can begin to covet in those ways. Putting sin to death involves relying on Jesus, focusing on Jesus, confessing our sins and praying that he would transform our heart. And I want to give throughout this sermon, I want to try to give four principles for how do I fight sin in my life? You need to know that we are called as a believer because Christ is in you. You are called to fight sin, not to indulge it, not to engage in it. So the first principle this morning for fighting sin is know that sin brings the wrath of God. Look at verse 6. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Ephesians chapter 5, 5 says as well, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Colossians 3, 6 again. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So, to fight sin, I need to identify it for what it is, and I need to identify the consequences of sin. If I cannot identify and and say in my mind, I know these are the consequences of sin, the subtlety of sin and the devil is to say, these things aren't that bad. Those consequences aren't that bad. And we live in a world, and maybe you face this temptation, where where our desire is to be managers of sin rather than killers of sin. It's the only time in Scripture that I can think that we're commanded to kill something or someone. Kill our sin. Put it to death. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, eternal death, separation from God. If we are engaging in sin, we know the consequences. It is eternal separation from God. If we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has saved us from that. And now he delights in having us walk in a manner that is consistent with that profession of faith that we made. The profession of faith, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, is what saves us and removes the wrath of God. But the subtlety of sin is that sometimes I get going in my Christian life and I forget what the eternal consequences of sin are. Proverbs speaking to uh, a young man who uh, warning against the temptations of adultery and the woman who might bat her eyes and, and kind of purse her lips and say to the man, why don't you come home with me? Proverbs warns the young man, and it's a warning to all of us. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? You can't play with fire. You can't play with sin and not get burned. 
Sometimes as a Christian, we think that it's okay to let sins go in our lives unconfessed. I am stupid sometimes. I will fully admit that. And sometimes when I'm cooking on the stove, I know that stove is hot. And I look at that pan and I say to myself, I really ought to get a hot pad to get that pan off. And I look and I go, you know, I can grab that quick. I can get that off quick. It won't burn me. I will, I will be fast. It, it's, it doesn't look that hot, really. I mean, you know, the pot is black still. It's, it's got a nice handle on it. The handle isn't even over the fire or the, the, the burner. Now, I know in my head, if I think about it, yeah, it really is hot. But I convince myself it's not. I've done this three or four times, by the way. I'll, I'll just slide that pan off. I'll just, I'll just move that. Or it's something in the pan, right? I can grab that and get that onto my plate so fast. I, I will, I'm like, I am the flash. I can get it there faster than the flames can burn me. I end up burning my hand. And I end up getting a blister. My wife has no sympathy for me when I say I've got a blister. Because a lot of times it's something dumb that I did. But that's how we are with sin. We look at that and we, we begin to convince ourselves that, it, that it's not that bad, that it won't really burn me, that I can be faster than it. This is how Satan worked on Eve in the garden. Did God really say you can't eat that fruit? You know, you're not really going to die. And suddenly she goes from a position where she couldn't even have probably imagined herself eating that to convincing herself and Adam. They're saying, this looks good. Let's take this. That's how temptation works. That's how temptation works even in the heart of the believer when we are not focused on God and Christ and we forget the consequences. We begin to tell ourselves, I'm not going to get burnt. Just this one time, what harm could it do? No one would even have to know. We need to be a people who confess our sins before the Lord. Put away sins of anger and of the tongue. So Paul says in verse 7, 8, and 9, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. He reminds the, the Colossians who we all were before we were believers. We did walk in sin. Let that not be the case any longer. He says, but now, but now you must put them away. So in verse five, he said, put them to death. Now he says, put them away. And he goes on and he continues his list. So if you're one of these people that go, well, I don't struggle with sexual immorality. Well, praise God, but I'm sure there are other sins you struggle with. Paul says, put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Every believer is different, but every believer has some kind of sin that they struggle with that they need to put away. Don't lose heart if you're a believer today and, and you're in this position where you know there's a sin you've been struggling with. Maybe you're ready to, to throw in the towel and say, I, I don't know why I fight this anymore. It's not worth it. It is worth it. And Jesus Christ promises through the Holy Spirit to empower us to work on these habits so that we put them away. 
so that we find ourselves not having a temper like we used to have. So we find ourselves not having hate or malice or or bitterness like we used to have. So that over time we 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 are getting to a point where we don't say the first thing that comes to our mind that ends up hurting people. So we don't desire in lying anymore, but are willing to tell the truth. The second principle in this passage this morning for fighting sin is understand that the old self is crucified. Look at the end of verse nine, seeing that you have put off the old self. So Paul had said you were once living in these things, but now put them away. Why? Because you have put off the old self in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter six, verses six and seven. We know Paul says, the word of God says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. What happens to you and I? I am a sinner. I am dead in my sins. And that means I engage in these things. I enjoy these things. I am actively rebelling against God. In the grace of God, he comes and he saves us. Whatever your experience is, whenever that happened to you, it is that moment where you saw that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paying for your sins perfectly. And you said to Jesus, forgive me. I need what you have done on the cross for me. Your sins are covered at that point. Your sins are, are, are completely washed away in the sense that your guilt no longer hangs over you. You are set free. That is entirely removed from you. But we still live in a human body. We still live on earth where we face temptations of sin. We are not at that moment perfect. And so God works in us. And Paul says in in Romans chapter six, verse 11, so also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In other words, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He paid for your sins and that is completely washed away. Now in your attitudes, in your behavior, in your daily living of your life, Think of yourself as someone who is dead. I don't have to give in to this sin because it is dead to me. Because Jesus died for it. And I now belong to Jesus. To fight sin, you have to see what sin is. You have to see the consequences. But you also have to look and say, what did Jesus do for me? You cannot fight sin without relying on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 24. I won't read them, but let me just highlight them. He tells us that in Christ we have learned to put off the old self. These things only happen in Jesus. If you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you cannot fight sin. You need to come first and receive that free gift of forgiveness. And once you are forgiven, the Holy Spirit is in you. Jesus Christ begins to work in you. And now we can go on with our lives 
and over time begin to resist these things and, and begin to grow. It's kind of like going to the doctor and getting a booster shot. We have to give our dog rabies shots and he needs another booster uh, coming up in August. And that booster over time, it builds up a resistance over time, the spirit working in us, we build up a resistant new heart begins to produce new habits and we can actually put sin to death. Second point this morning. So we've got the first point and we've got two principles. We're going to move to the second point and get two more principles. Second, you have to know that you have put on Jesus Christ. So there's a there's a positive and a negative here. The the negative command is is put these things to death. But the positive command is look at Jesus and focus on him. I don't know if you've ever had this experience in your life, but did anyone ever tell you don't think about something? You know how when you're you're driving in the car and you have to go to the bathroom and, and you, you're riding there and one of your siblings has to go and, and they say, don't think about running water. And you being the sneaky and conniving siblings start to say, oh, remember that time we went to Niagara Falls and how much the water poured over and, and your, your siblings going, I'm trying not to think of this. And, and actually, the more they try not to think of it, they end up thinking about it. Sometimes fighting sin is that way. If all we said was don't think about sin and put these things to death, we would start to say, I'm not thinking about sin. I'm not thinking about sin. I'm not thinking about sin. I'm thinking about sin and sin, sin. We, We can so focus on it that we're not actually putting it to death because it's still in our minds. We put sin to death. And we focus on Jesus. This is what Paul has said in last week that we looked at, that our our minds need to be on the things of heaven. This is all a working out of Colossians 2, 6, which says, Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You see, in Christ Jesus, you and I have put on the new self. So so the old person who we are walking in our sins under this penalty, when we believe in Jesus, that is put to death. But we've also had something new happen to us. It's it's off with the old on with the new verse 10 and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the after the image of its creator. Ephesians 4.24, we have been taught, quote, to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Second Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. God's plan for you from before the foundations of the world was to make you like Jesus. And he does this by sending Jesus to pay the penalty for your sins. And in the plan and purpose of God, he forgives your sin. And he works a change in you. And that change is to make you more like Jesus. To bear his image. To reflect the character of God. And you need to know that when you are saved, God has begun a new work in you. You are fundamentally at the core of your being in Christ, a new creation. There is a radical change in our existence. 
And when we're struggling with sin, we might not always feel like there is a radical change. We might not feel like there is something new about us. But we fight sin by going back to what Jesus has done and reminding ourselves, God made me a new creation. I am a new self. Notice here there are two aspects of the grammar, which he says in verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. So on the one sense, there is this who you are in Christ. You have put on the new self. This has already taken place. But then there is this present aspect. If you're if you're a grammar nerd, just look at that. It's this ongoing, which is being renewed. This is something that is happening on a regular basis. That as I am reading the word of God, as I am spending time in prayer, as I am going to church and getting encouragement from other believers, God continues to change who I am and renews it. It's, it's the, the idea of walking regularly in the Lord so that the believer does not just profess faith in Christ and say, that's it, I'm done, everything I need has happened. In one sense, that's true. On the other sense, we are to be expecting and anticipating and engaging in this new walk because the Lord is renewing us. This is principle three for fighting sin. You are a new creation. You have a new self. You need to remind yourself of that. You need to know that. Who am I? You can actually fight sin, not because of who you are, but who you are in Jesus Christ. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever is not the presence of sin. An unbeliever has the presence of sin. A believer in their life right now will still have the presence of sin. Uh, I won't say raise your hand if you still have sin because all of our hands should go up. We still sin. But now there's something new about us. It's the ability and even the desire to fight these things. And why is that? Is that because of you? Is that because of your strength? Is that because you finally saw something one day because you picked yourself up and changed yourself? No. That's because God changed your heart and you received a free gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The fourth principle for fighting sin is that God needs to be regularly renewing my mind in knowledge. God needs to be working in me. This is the idea of growing in our knowledge of God. Not just knowing things about God, but actually spending time in an active relationship with God. The older Christians from uh, the days of the Puritans and before would call it communion with God. That idea of a relationship where I read his word and I hear that in his word he speaks to me. I pray to him and know that in my prayers I am 
talking with him and my prayers are going up to God through the power of Jesus and coming before the throne of God and he is actually hearing what I say. And when I ask for things, when I ask for power to fight against sin, he is gracious and merciful and give these things. When I, when I rely on him and say, Lord, I am having such a hard time. I have this desire to sin. I need you to change that. He renews my mind. It is ongoing. And sometimes we feel like in our Christian lives, we'll, we'll begin to feel like it, it was one step forward in a victory to, against sin and two steps backwards or three steps backwards that we gave in or we yielded in some way. But the Lord wants to renew your mind and he wants this relationship to be ongoing. Colossians, or excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. In order to fight sin, I have to keep growing in knowing God. I have to. He has to become more real to me. Am I talking to just a concept? Oh, yes, I know God is out there. Or do I remember that I'm dealing with a person? A person who is so far above me, I can't even comprehend him. But a person nonetheless who has revealed himself to me. In order to fight sin, I have to put God's word in my heart. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to his word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up, my, up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We are in this battle where we are taking every thought captive. And, and your weapons are the armor of God. These spiritual things, not physical things guns and swords and helmets, but what the Holy Spirit does in us through the power of Jesus. Paul's language here, Paul's flow of his thought at the very end almost seems to take a, a turn. Look at verse 11. It, it almost seems to be a, a disjunction. Like, why is he going here? Verse 11. Here meaning in Christ, in this new self, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul takes this talking to the individual saying, you are in Christ, the new self. And he looks then at everybody in the church. And he basically is saying that everybody is equal in Christ. The Jews and the Greeks in the ancient world, they did not get along. It was sort of like racial tension that we have today in our world. And Paul says, in Jesus Christ, you are all one because Christ is in each one of you. The barbarians would have been uh, people that were uncivilized, most likely people that didn't speak Greek. Scythians were like the worst of the worst barbarians. Uh, they were people that lived above the Black Sea up into the north and what's what's modern day Eastern Europe and Russia. It, it's like looking at the world and saying those would be the uncivilized people. 
And so Greeks would kind of look down their noses. And imagine one of them gets saved. That's a barbarian. That's a a Scythian. It's kind of like when someone in the bush of Africa or in the jungles of South America gets saved. And they have their ears stretched out because that's what they put in their ears. And they have piercings through their nose and they have all kinds of crazy tribal tattoos. And they can't read because they've never had a written word in their language. And we would say maybe, well, they're from the third world or they're uncivilized. But that really doesn't matter. Because if they're a believer in Christ, they're my equal. They're my brother or my sister. Do you see how that would cut through that lying to other people? That bitterness, that malice. Imagine all different types of people gathering in one church. Sometimes we can't even gather with our own family without having tensions. Imagine gathering with people from different tribes, races. That's what heaven's going to be like. And Paul is saying, When that happens in the church now, because each one of you is in Christ, Christ is in all of us. The basis for unity in the church is what Jesus Christ has done. And so not only do we fight sin as individuals that goes on in our hearts, but in turn, we love one another with a Christ-like love because Christ is is in each one of us. Paul says similar things in Galatians 3. He says, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. In other words, you've received Jesus Christ through faith. You have become a part of Him. He has become a part of you, like a baptism where He covers you and is in you. And then Paul says, there is then neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for all are one in Christ. Do you believe that to be true? Paul takes this in Ephesians and he turns it back on us. And he says, basically, how now do we go on living together As the church. You see, when I'm fighting sin in my personal life, it's going to be reflected out in my church life. So Paul says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let us each one speak the truth with his neighbors, for we are all members of one another. We're family. Can we be honest with each other? Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only what is good for building each other up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The behavior that I have in putting sin to death takes a turn and says, how do I treat my brother and sister in Christ? 
They may look different. They may sound different. They may have a different educational background, a different racial background. They may be from a different class. They may have grown up totally different in a way that's totally foreign to me that I can't understand. And sometimes it just frustrates me. But they're my brother and sister in Christ. I have a responsibility to be tenderhearted, not to be bitter. Not to look at that other believer and say, I wish I had what they had. And begin to walk down that path of coveting. Let me give you two questions. First, do I get along with my fellow believers because of how Christ has made us unified? That's the foundation. Does it lead me to get along, to love, even sacrificially, other believers? Second question, when someone is fighting sin, do I have a tender mercy and compassion for them? Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Someone comes to you and they confess they're struggling with a sin. And they ask for your help. How do you respond? Someone wrongs you. Maybe they blow their top at you. And they come back to you and they say, I blew it. I sinned and, and I have anger issues and I know it and I'm sorry. How many times have we been in that position? Well, I'm, I'm not going to forgive that. I'm not ready. I, don't they realize how much they've wronged me? If we are in Christ, we are one. And those habits of putting sin to death impact how we treat one another. Three things again for fighting sin. One, remember who I was. I was a sinner. I once walked in these ways. Remember who I am. I am in Jesus Christ. Remember how I am to walk. Putting sin to death. Loving others cultivating habits where God is enabled to renew my mind. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Each one of us, myself included, have areas in our lives where our minds need to be renewed, refreshed, perhaps specific sins that we need to confess. Perhaps we've even just this week faced the temptation to one of these sins or maybe even yielded to it. I pray that we would return to you and find the freeness of your forgiveness. That you would make our hearts alive again with a love for you. That you would stir up a desire where we would walk with you and walk in a manner worthy of Christ because of all that you have done for us, Lord Jesus. We just thank you for all of these things. In your name we pray. Amen.